0: Welcome to the Founders Keepers podcast, a series of interviews exploring stories behind the founders of change-making businesses in social impact healthcare and health tech industries and what makes those founders tick. I'm your host, Dr. Grace Hatton, and this week I'm joined by Dr. Ed Farah, the CEO and co-founder of Otto Health. Otto is a UK-based startup helping people with tinnitus manage their symptoms and improve their quality of life by way of a mobile app. Otto's most recent investment round saw them raise US$3.3 million US dollars in seed financing and is the first reimbursed digital tinnitus app marketed in the US and in Germany. Their tools are built in collaboration with ENT surgeons, researchers and hearing therapists, combined with AI-powered hearing health tracking, and integrate CBT, mindfulness, physician guidance and relaxation techniques designed to limit the effects of tinnitus. Ed trained as a medical doctor and spent six years working as a medic in the Royal Air Force, along with co-founder and former Royal Navy doctor, George Leidig, before going on to launch Otto in the UK. Today, we cover Ed's personal story that prompted Otto's development and his experience in the world-famous Y Combinator Incubator, where Otto was part of the Winter 2022 batch. Let's get started. So Ed, welcome to the podcast. I am especially interested in how startup founders come up with their product ideas. And so I'm curious to know what led you to come up with Otto Health?
1: Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Um, it's, it wasn't kind of a, a, a light bulb moment, really. It happened over a few months, and it all started when I was um, <clears throat> serving as a, as, a, as a doctor in the military and the Air Force. And the first thing that happened was uh, I actually developed a condition called tinnitus myself. So tinnitus is commonly experienced, as, uh, as many people know, commonly experienced as ringing in the ears. Um, it's a chronic condition in many cases, which means it's, it's with you for life. And for me, I was lucky in that it wasn't that loud and I got used to it quite quickly. Um, It stopped me from sleeping from time to time, but I was was, was lucky and I got used to it. And the second thing that happened um, during my time in the military was I actually started seeing patients with quite severe tinnitus. And it was having a big impact on their quality of life. And um, I got together with my my friend at the time, um, who's a doctor in the Navy, um, George is, is now my co-founder um, and we started sort of discussing, uh, he'd had a similar experience as well and we started discussing ways in which we could maybe do something about this and create create, create something to, to help these people with tinnitus. Um, we'd always known we'd wanted to start a business together. Uh, we tried to do something at medical school, it was a bit of a failure to be honest with you, um, so we thought that let's let's do a proper job of it this time and this came as sort of a natural career break for both of us i just finished my time uh, doing core surgical training in the Air Force, and George had just finished his general duties years in the Navy, so we thought, look, let's, let's, let's give this thing a go. Um, let's build a product to help people manage tinnitus on their own. Um, it's worth adding as well that um, if you do have tinnitus, it's very, very difficult to get access to help. There's no cure. Effective treatment exists um, in the form of cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. But to access this is very difficult on the NHS and very expensive privately. So we thought look, let's uh, let's put CBT into a into an app and let's let's do something about this this problem that's, uh, that's, that's that very clearly exists um, in healthcare in the UK and the rest of the world actually.
0: You've talked about uh, tinnitus as a problem that Otto is uh, supporting to address and to support patients with. But when I was a medical student, and um, even as a doctor, it wasn't something that I learned a lot about. You'd see it or hear about it in clinics and it tended to be left for audiologists or even neurologists. So it was never something I really encountered in clinical practice. So I'm curious to know how big a problem actually is it and what is Otto Health doing to solve it?
1: Well, you've described there um, actually you- one of the, the core pieces of the, of the problem, and that is, as doctors, and it was the same for me at medical school, um, we had spent perhaps an hour learning about tinnitus, more of a symptom of something perhaps more sinister that you needed to recognise instead of a condition itself. But one in eight people have chronic tinnitus. One in twenty people have uh, tinnitus. Has a big impact on their quality of life, um, and there's actually over a million GP consultations with tinnitus as the primary complaint per year in the UK. So it's a big, big problem um, that doctors, unfortunately, and this isn't the fault of the doctors; it needs to be the, the way that, that they're taught. Um, doctors don't learn a huge amount about, and that is reflected in the, the lived experience of people with tinnitus. Um, I've spoken to uh, probably over a hundred people with tinnitus now, and at least ninety-five percent of them have been told by their doctor something along the lines of, "I'm sorry, there's nothing that can be done. You need to learn to you need to learn to live with it." And if you imagine the you know you know in the first few months realizing that you've got this condition that there's no cure there's no way to get rid of it you've just got to live the rest of your life with this horrible ringing noise in your ear imagine how terrifying that must be and that's kind of where the, the problem starts um so it is a big problem it's an underserved problem and an overlooked problem um and you know we need to do more to help people with with tinnitus um and i think the next part of your question was well how, do, how does our solution work how does otto help well We solve the problem of care and help for tinnitus being difficult to access. It takes around over, you know, take up to a year to get access to CBT on the NHS for tinnitus. Um, And CBT has been proven to be the most effective way to manage it. We package CBT and some other therapeutic techniques into a mobile app. And we use these techniques to teach people to manage tinnitus on their own terms. Well, how does that work? I mentioned there was no cure. so. CBT works by teaching people to stop noticing the tinnitus, and if they do notice it, it's not distressing for them. They just think, "Oh, it's, you know, it's my tinnitus; it's not causing me any any; it's not going to cause a problem." Um, and that process is called habituation. And it, the way you sort of CBT actually helps people to habituate is it interrupts the negative thought cycle that they have when they hear that sound of the ringing, um, and it and it and it and it changes the brain, the brain's response from Uh, sort of an anxiety and a stress response to um, a a non-negative response or not even a response at all. Um, And our app teaches people to do that using recorded audio sessions. Um, So it's kind of like Headspace, but instead of teaching people to meditate, we teach people to habituate.
0: And slightly pivoting in my questions, but Otto Health closed pre-seed funding earlier this year in 2022, as far as I'm aware. So can you talk about your experience of that?
1: Yeah so we we closed the pre seed round in uh in November of um it, we sort of we, it came together in November 2021 and everything sort of you know finished in in early 2022. Um it was a pretty um difficult experience personally for me. Um I'm a first time founder um and I've not really probably raised raised money before so it was a very very valuable learning experience. Um and you know we've just gone out and raised a seed round, which actually went a lot more successfully than the, than the pre-seed round um, because of the things that I'd learned um, the first time round. So, what you know, what did I learn from it? Well, um, the first thing is that raising money as a as a startup, um, unless you've raised money before or had you know a successful exit as a founder, is so 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 hard. Um, it it really really is tough, uh, and it took six or seven months to scrape together. Uh, you know, we got a decent size round in the end. We got half a million quid. Um, but trying to get to that point and trying to get it over the line was 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 really difficult. Um and I think the the main reason for that was that um I didn't I didn't properly prepare. Um I just sort of rushed into it um without really doing the the adequate preparation. I didn't build relationships with investors beforehand. That's super, super important. Um and you know to to, raising money at this stage is all about trust does this does the person trust you with their money um and because i hadn't sort of built these relationships beforehand i was speaking to a lot of these investors for the first time um and i think that's why it didn't work um and i think the third the third reason was that um I, i didn't sort of manage the time properly um you know you need to have all your investor meetings in a very short space of time um for anyone considering raising money there's there's lots of things. You, there's lots of reasons for that, but it's primarily about building momentum um, and sort of building of, uh, um yeah building momentum with the conversations you're having. Um, if you're speaking to lots of people in a short space of time, um, the investors will feel like um, there's sort of a more of a time pressure to to get their out closed. So yeah, um, but we got there in the end, um, and uh, it was a great, really valuable experience for me. And it, it, I'm sort of glad we did it because I learned a huge amount about how to raise money. Um, um, for that, that I applied to the that I applied to, to when we raised money this time round.
0: Well, congratulations, and also recently closing seed C- fundraising, so that's that's great to hear. um And I suppose one question I'm really intrigued to know the answer to is: you were also selected to join the uh, the YC, the Y Combinator accelerator program yes. around about the same time, so earlier this year. Um, are you able to mm-hmm. shed some light on your experience and your time being part of that?
1: Absolutely, Y Combinator was a game changer for us for a number of reasons. The first thing is it taught us a huge amount about how to reach product market fit, which is basically building the right product for the market at the right time. Um, and it's, it's primarily about product development and how that works. And that's the first thing it taught us. The second thing it taught me uh, was a very, very in-depth um, sort of uh, way to raise, a very, very sort of in-depth teaching about how to, how to raise money. Um, and again, combined with the lessons I had before from the sort of the teaching we got from my Combinator really, really helped to, to close this seed round. Um, and the third thing was it really helped us to set ambitious goals, work out how we were going to hit them and then hit them. You know, we set ourselves a goal, a revenue goal from, from the f- sort of first three months. Um, and, you know, it seemed ridiculous at the time. And then we actually, we actually hit it, um, which, was, which was really, really helpful when it, came to, when it came to raising money. And it sort of, you know, got us in the habit of setting these ambitious goals and, and working out how we were going to achieve them. Um, so yeah, it was a game changer for us, and we learned a huge amount. We got support from you know some of the best, um, some of the best founders and, and investors in the game um, that you have you know access access to whenever you need to office hours, and we still have access to them as well. So I'd certainly recommend it to anyone anyone considering it.
0: And how is your relationship with YC continued? Because people I've spoken to who have been part of YC cohorts before um, they say it doesn't really end after this three month bootcamp that you do. So do you still yeah. find that you? have good relations with the advisors that you encountered? Do they support you in scaling auto health further? Does that work in any particular way?
1: Yeah, so we have three group partners who we were encouraged to regularly book office hours with, probably on a weekly basis and ask questions to, um, which we have access to in a Slack channel through the the programme we still have access to now as well. Um, And we still book probably office hours with them once every other month, once every month, once every six weeks actually. Um, to, there's any sort of pressing questions, and they're on hand to help when we need.
0: What would you say is the scrappiest thing that you've done to date for the business?
1: Good question. I would say probably raising the, the pre-seed round because I just had to keep going at it. And it's very, very tempting when you get told no, you know, over fifty, sixty times by so many different people to just think, "Oh, this is this isn't going well. This isn't working." Um, let's come back at it. And I. Just for whatever reason, um, just thought, you know, I just need to st- stick this out and we just need to get there. Um, and I kept at it and, you know, just did, you know, accepted really small checks from people and just really, really pushed to, to, to get it closed. And I think getting that round together was, um, um, was 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 definitely that.
0: Obviously, you've touched upon how much of a challenge that was with regards to raising pre-seed mm-hmm. investment. But are there any mm-hmm. of the sort of really standout challenges you say that you've encountered so far in building a business?
1: Yeah, there's been lots of, there's been lots of challenges and anyone that sort of works in a startup or had a startup will know that, you know, every day has, has different challenges. Um, a few other big challenges have been sort of medical device, regulatory, um, regulatory difficulties We've we've actually, we actually decided against registering as a medical device Otto is a health and wellness app. It's not a cure or a treatment for tinnitus. It teaches you how to manage tinnitus yourself. So it's it's certainly not a, a, a treatment. Um, and that was a deliberate reason because it was deliberately done because we, we did go down the medical device route, but it's very, very expensive and it's very, very time consuming. And it really slows down product development. You have to document, you know, in, in very, very large amounts of detail, any change you make to the product. And we realized that would have been very restrictive for us. So we decided instead of sort of going down the tinnitus treatment route, we'd go down the, you know, the tinnitus supports and, you know, helping people to learn to, to habituate. So we're not treating tinnitus itself. We're um, helping people manage the distress that comes with with tinnitus. Um, but that was sort of you know there was a difficult decision to be made um, after a lot of time spent thinking about it. Hiring, I would certainly say, has been another challenge. Again, with with hiring, it's similar to fundraising, and it's really, really sort of disheartening when you you're spending sort of two months, three months looking for people and you can't find the right person. But again similar to fundraising you just need to keep at it you need to keep assisting we sent probably over 100 messages um looking for, for one candidate actually to, to people on linkedin um to, to just, just doing outreach to to different candidates and you know stick with it and you'll get there um you just have to be you just have to be resilient with it
0: and it probably ties in with building a team but i'm curious to know what your plans are next what's on the horizon for the auto health now that you've just closed seed
1: fundraising we spent a lot of time over the last few months hiring and hiring is now finished um we anticipated that you know this round will be closed and we got the term sheet and the sort of the legals done um a couple of months ago and there's just sort of been bits and bobs that we've been tying up since then so we've managed to get all the hiring done actually um you know before and around closing this round so we're currently a team of eight full-time and uh from august will be four part-time so the focus really for us now is reaching product market fit and reaching profitability. You'll know that there's been changes in the economic sort of um, the economic environment, macroeconomic, and uh, you know in in the world in the startup world as well. Um, it, over the last ten years, it's been very very cheap for startups to raise money, and I wouldn't say easy, but um, you know it, it wasn't. Uh, it was certainly possible to raise money at a, a good valuation over the last 10 years but that's now changed and it's going to be even harder to access capital which means that we now need to focus on building a sustainable business for the long term and that means reaching profitability and reaching product market fit so that's certainly the focus now we don't plan on hiring anyone else we want to stay we want to stay small you know many startups at our stage seed stage will you know hire a team of of 20 25 that's not the route we want to go down we don't think it's um, efficient to do that. We want to reach product market fit before we start scaling and growing the team. And sort of a question more
0: more targeted at your background, as you've moved from the military as you've spoken about in the NHS now into this health tech space. Are there any particular experiences you've drawn on from working in those environments that you now apply to your role as CEO?
1: Yeah, 100. Um, the most important thing. Well, the most now we have a sort of a you know a medium small to medium sized team. The most important part of my job is enabling others. To do their job well and that requires communication and, and, and leadership you learn a lot about communication and leadership both as a doctor and as in, in the military as well um, you know communication skills are one of the first things i learned about in medical school how to take a history from a patient i'm sure you remember about that as well uh, how to communicate with other members of staff and those skills are almost certainly transferable um, communication in both talking to our, our users talking to our customers um it's actually quite similar to taking a history really asking lots of open ended questions that kind of thing uh, but also communicating with the rest of the team um and you know enabling them to do their to do their best you know i'm very lucky to work with a very skilled uh, and talented talented team um most of them far more skilled and talented than, well in fact all of them far more skilled and talented than i am um and you know i need to make sure that um i can put the things in place to, to enable them to do their do their job to their best of their ability.
0: And leading on from that, can you tell me what a typical work day looks like for you
1: if such a typical day exists? Kind of does and it kind of doesn't. It depends on the day. It depends on the week of what I'm doing. The last few months have been I have spent probably 60, 70% of my time working on on fundraising. It's been hugely, hugely time intensive and resource intensive. Um, but as that's finished now, um, uh, we 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 have a hybrid hybrid um, hybrid working plan. So three days a week work in the office, two days from home. So if I'm working in the office, I'll come into the office, um, check my emails, um, respond to all my emails, hopefully, if there's there's not too many. Then we have a stand-up, which the team will get together and discuss what they're doing throughout the day. Um, And then the rest of the day will be split into either meetings, um, either internal meetings or external meetings. Um, I try to sort of get involved with as much of the the product stuff as I can. Um, Or external meetings, will be talking to potential partners, Um, if I'm fundraising, investors, um, and sort of managing any other um, uh, external stakeholders um, that so need it. I spend a lot of time, not a lot of time, but I spend some time on kind of HR things as well. So, um, you know, people management um, um, and and working out how to optimize uh, what sort of the processes in in the team.
0: (laughs) Bit of a loaded question, but would you do anything differently if you were to start again?
1: Absolutely not. Uh, well, if I was to, sorry, I thought you were going to say, "Would, you, would I do anything differently?" Um, absolutely, yes. Uh, you learn a huge, huge amount um, when you start a business for the first time. Um, so, would I do any different job? No. I, this is this is one hundred percent what I want to be doing. But your sure your your actual question: Would I do anything differently if I had to do it again? There's lots of things. Um, you know, I mentioned the fundraising. I'd do a much better job of, of planning for that. Um, I spent a lot more time talking to users in the early days. That's so so important to understand your customers. Um, we would have launched quicker. Um, again, you know, lean methodology, get something out into the market as quickly as possible. We spent too long uh, messing around, fiddling with things, trying to make it trying to make it too perfect. Um, and I think I'd probably probably just take take more risks as well. You want to um, you want to play it very safe in the early days because, you know, especially coming from a from a medical background, you, you know you're taught not to really take risks or take big risks because it's people's lives you're dealing with. But in this case, um, taking risks I think can pay off, and you know it's, it's really important to make decisions quickly. Um, you know, making the wrong decision is better than not making a decision at all because um, you, you will learn from it quickly. I'd say if I was to go back and do it again, George and I were talking about this. I think we could probably get to get probably get to where we are now um, in you know, probably half the time it's taken us to get to where we are. But, you know, you you learn something new every day. And as the business progresses and goes to the next stage, it's not something you've done before. So you have to learn how to do it from from scratch. And I'm very lucky to have a really sort of supportive uh, network of investors and also advisors to help with that. But, um, you know, doing it again, I'm sure, you know, when the opportunity to start the next business comes around, um, I'll be able to do a uh, much quicker job of it.
0: And what are you most optimistic about regarding the future of tinnitus patient care in the broader healthcare ecosystem?
1: It's a really, really exciting time for research and sort of tech enabled care for tinnitus. We are probably the first larger scale digital tool to help people with tinnitus. There are a number of other apps, but in terms of incorporating CBT, we were the first to launch uh, and we've had sort of the most commercial traction. So just sort of Digital tinnitus support is a really, really exciting time um, for, for people with tinnitus. Um, our vision is to build the definitive solution for managing tinnitus. Um, and you know we're certainly a long way off, so there's a lot of improvements to be made um, in helping people access care when they need it. <clears throat> there's also a sort of from a research perspective, there's, um, we're quite far off a cure. But there's lots of exciting research into understanding what causes tinnitus. We still don't fully understand that, um, but there's some there's some really sort of base stuff going on at the moment to look into that and understand why tinnitus happens. Once we've understood that, then we can start, you know, looking into a cure. But I would say we're, you know, a decade off a, a cure for tinnitus, unfortunately.
0: And lastly, is there any specific advice you would want to give to someone wanting to follow in your footsteps, start their own business or health tech venture? What would you say to them?
1: Yeah, hundreds of things really. Um, the first thing I would say is make sure you validate your idea before building it. Don't spend months building a product without talking to users. Um, the most important thing you can do at an early stage is talking to as many potential customers as possible um, and understand whether the solution you think is a good idea is actually a good idea. Um, and there's lots of sort of ways to, to understand how to, how to do that. Um, there's a few good books. The Lean Startup, um, The Mum Test uh, is another good one. To, to teaches you about how to how to talk to users. That's the first thing. Second thing is um don't fundraise, don't raise money certainly from 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 VCs, um unless you literally have no other choice. It's a hugely, hugely time consuming process. Um and unless your business is, you know, going to be worth billions or potentially could be worth billions in the future, um, it really, really isn't worth it. And you need to consider whether it's worth um whether it's worth you know trying to fund it yourself or or you know, spending a bit longer on it, basically. Um, um, is there anything else I would I would say? I think those are the two the, the two main things. Oh, and the third thing as well is you know just if you if you've got the idea and you've spent time talking to users, just 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 do it. Get something out as quick as possible. Get a product in front of people. Charge people for it as soon as you can, because the learning you'll get from that is um, is, is 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 a lot. It's really significant. Um, understanding whether people will pay for the for the solution you've built. Um, and actually putting it in front of people, um, there's no substitute for that. Um, and you know, if you just ask someone, would you pay for this? Um, you're not gonna get an accurate so you need to actually put something in front of people. So do try and launch as quickly as possible uh, the, the paid version of the product.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Founders Keepers. And if you have, please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review on whatever listening platform you are using. Be sure to tune in next time for another Founders Story.